Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Bishop recently celebrated special masses for those in the legal profession. Hear more about the Red Mass on this episode, including what it is, what readings Bishop chose, and why he decided to focus his homily on the need for unity, as well as how the call of our founding fathers for a more perfect union in the Constitution is still relevant today. Then it's on to the first beatification of a millennial, Blessed Carlo Acutis. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our Bishop. Thank you again for joining us. You're welcome, Kyle. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good. Always blessed to be able to say that these days. Yeah. Are you enjoying the fall season? I am, yeah. Good. Just yesterday, I noticed, well, I guess over the weekend too, noticed how the leaves are all pretty right now. I don't know how long that'll last. It's, it's like it's such a short window. You got to enjoy it while it's, yeah, it's here. Yeah, I loved it. I noticed it. I had... Um, the wedding anniversary mass up in South Bend, and I just was really observant of the the colors of the yeah. leaves changing as I was driving. I saw, and it was really very, very pretty. Although I kind of miss going to the football games. Yeah. <laughs> Although I went to the Bishop Lores Bishop Dwenger game, so that was my only taste of live being there live for a football game. Right. right. And actually, Redeemer Radio was there. Uh huh. And I spoke at halftime. Yeah. Very good. But that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw a little video clip. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah. Okay. They put you on the spot a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, no, no, he was really good. I said, would, I, did you hear what I said about replacing you as m- on Truth and Charity? Did you hear my little no. joke? Oh, I wanted no. you to hear that. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and find Who that. Who was interviewing me? Um, but he, he was good. And I said, oh, you're really good. Maybe you could. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you were listening oh, to I'm, it. Oh, I'm going to go find it now. <laughs> well, well, maybe I have uh, auditions. For, for the next season of Truth and Charity. Uh, no, I like having you here. That's oh, thank good. you. Yeah. Well, we want to thank our sponsors for this week's episode. We have Chris and Carol Ann Eckrich, who have generously donated to support Redeemer Radio and Truth and Charity. So thank you, Chris and Carol, for your support. We really appreciate it. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about is a young man that was recently beatified. So he's a blessed and he loved to play video games. So it got me thinking, when's the last time you played a video game, Bishop? I don't think I've ever played a video game. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, no, I, I can't, like what? Give me examples. Well, any, I mean, as old as like Pac-Man or Super Mario Brothers or. No. No? No, I'm really boring. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm more pinball? into the outdoor kinds of games. I, I never really, I yeah. don't think I ever, I mean, I've seen Pac-Man, I might've played that years ago uh-huh. but you know i'm not no i'm not into them at all Sorry. i thought maybe like a youth event or something somebody gave you a controller and said here nope never no, happened no <laughs> maybe you could bring it to one of these episodes and we could play during the breaks yeah yeah we probably should yeah <laughs> do a little tetris or something like that all right well bishop you recently celebrated the red mass at notre dame also the cathedral of immaculate conception in fort wayne and the Fort Wayne Mass was recorded, and so that's available. People can find that at the Diocesan Facebook page. Today's Catholic has, I don't know if the, it was a full transcript of your homily it's available not, there. It's, it's not in yet. I think it's going to be in this week, so okay. I don't know it's if on, It's printing. on the website. Oh, okay. So if you go to todayscatholic.org slash red-mass-2020, people can read through that there. So 
what was your message to, first of all, the Red Mass, for people that aren't familiar with it, maybe you could explain what that is. Yeah, it's a votive mass of the Holy Spirit at which we, it's called red because we wear red vestments, mm -hmm. but also the red robes of, of the judges back when this began in the Middle Ages. But red is also the color for masses of the Holy Spirit, the tongues of fire. Mm -hmm. I also celebrated the Red Mass in the Cathedral of the Holy Rosary in in Toledo, That's right. between yeah. the, the South Bend and Fort Wayne Red Masses. So I had three this year. Uh -huh. But it's a great opportunity to pray for members of the legal profession. That includes lawyers and judges, magistrates, also civic officials. Mm -hmm. We also often will invite elected officials state or local or national level. When I have the mass at Notre Dame, we also have the students sure. from the law school and the professors from the law school and students from the political science department. So it's kind of, so the congregations kind of differ a little bit depending on where I celebrate the mm -hmm. red mass, but it's basically asking the Holy Spirit to guide, to guide them and, and to bless them with his gifts. Also, there's always a close connection with St. Thomas More because he's the patron saint of lawyers mm -hmm. and politicians. So sometimes when I celebrate the Red Mass, I'll, I'll use St. Thomas More as an example, some of his writings, some of his life. But this year, I kind of focused on the situation in our nation, the disunity, the polarization, even in the church, and really invited the congregation to pray for unity because... Mm -hmm. The gospel that we used for the Red Mass this year was where Jesus prayed for the unity of his disciples and those who would come after them as mm -hmm. disciples. And it seemed appropriate because the Holy Spirit is the principle and the source of the unity of the church. So I, I kind of used some of what I said in my speech at uh, Holy Cross College that was published in Origins and in Today's Catholic about mm -hmm. the polarization. You know, so I kind of brought in some of those same ideas, kind of this public epidemic of anger in our country. Right. So I kind of talked a little bit about that. I, I know we've talked about that here on this show as well. By the way, I also, when I was at, the, at Notre Dame's Red Mass, I talked about Amy Coney Barrett and asked the uh, congregation to pray for her and for her family, especially going through the grueling Senate confirmation process, because right. she's entering into a very angry yep. and polarized political environment of the Senate's confirmation process. So we prayed that the Holy Spirit would give her fortitude, one fortitude, of his gifts, right. and we also prayed for her husband and her family. I mean, she's a parishioner from our diocese, St. Joseph Parish in, in South Bend. You know, so anyhow, um, that was one unique feature of my homily at, uh, at Notre Dame. Although I would say also, I did mention, ask for, her, for prayers for her at the other Red Masses too in Fort Wayne and Toledo. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, one of the uh, things I was really talking about a lot was how we need to put our Christian discipleship ahead of allegiance to a political party. We've talked about that here before, that fidelity to the teaching of the church should be ahead of any political ideology. You know, our commitment to justice, for example, and that's a very important thing for, for judges mm -hmm. and lawyers. I also talked a little bit about the Constitution uh, of the United States and our founding fathers and 
their convictions, the principles that are intimately linked to the moral order based on the dominion of God, the creator, and that these principles have governed our social life, our political life in the United States since its founding. Hmm. And that's one way to get out of the crisis is looking to this patrimony, this heritage that we have of shared ideals and shared aspirations. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. There's always going to be a difference of opinion, but to be united on these principles and you know the conviction that the founders proclaimed what they called the self-evident truth that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And these rights are grounded in, in the laws of nature and mm -hmm. of nature's God. Now, we know throughout U.S. history, there's been difficulties and struggles, but there's been a great resolve, intellectual resolve, moral resolve, uh, to shape a society that would faithfully embody these principles. Mm -hmm. But we can't throw those principles out. If we don't agree on those principles, then the unity of our nation is imperiled. So I talked about that in the homily, how our nation grew as far as it's living out these principles, kind of you can say how the soul of our country was forged. There were religious beliefs were a constant part of that. They were an inspiring, that was the inspiration and driving force. For example, the uh, struggle against slavery. I mean, a lot of that was a religious movement. Same with, or religiously inspired. Right. And same with the civil rights movement. I mean, Martin Luther King himself was a Baptist minister. Mm -hmm. So I really was trying to focus on that, given especially the audience, these are our people in the legal profession to get back to what are the principles of our nation, our constitution. I think it's important that we we not over-idealize our nation, you know, or become nationalistic mm -hmm. because our nation is imperfect. It's, it's not, you're, we're never going to have a perfect nation on right. earth. You know, we live in the earthly city. We're all sinners, so we're not going to have a perfect society on earth. You know, the... Well, we're only going to find that in the heavenly city. But we still, and the, and the founding fathers knew this. And I, I talk about in the homily, the preamble to the Constitution, and it always strikes me, the words of, in the preamble, where, where it talks about we the people are the ones who are ordaining and establishing the Constitution. This is at that time. Yeah. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union. They don't say a perfect union, right. a more perfect. They know that perfection is not possible on earth. Now, what they were referring to in the original context was that the Constitution would have be a more perfect, would establish a more perfect union than what they had previously, mm -hmm. which was the Articles of Confederation, which wasn't working too well for the unity of the nation. So they they have the Constitution. I think we can also take it a little bit step a step further and say, and go beyond that original context, that we always should be striving for a more perfect mm -hmm. union. And I don't think we're ever going to be a more perfect union if we cast aside religion and morality. Mm -hmm. You know, that famous uh, farewell address of President George Washington, he wrote, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, 
Religion and morality are indispensable supports. And we see this in history time and time again, including in the history of our nation. When you have a decline in religion and morality, you also have a decline in, in political unity mm -hmm. and stability, which is what we're seeing today in our country. You know, John Paul II, he saw this too. He said, in a world without truth, freedom loses its foundation. <laughs> and he also said, a democracy without values can lose its very soul. A democracy without values can lose its very soul. So we have a little bit of a, I think we're in a little bit of a dangerous situation, especially with moral relativism and all. The more we lose these important values, and for example, the value of human life, human dignity, we can lose our soul. You know, democracy loses then even its foundation. You know, justice is something that, uh, you know, I obviously that virtue is essential with audience like this. I talk about justice and how a truly just society is only possible with, if it's based on respect for the transcendent dignity of the human person. We can only... You know, we need to work for a more perfect union by, by respecting the least among us, you know, to try to build a new culture of love and solidarity. I mean, that's what's going to make our nation better. And all the stuff that f stands in the way of a more perfect union, radical individualism, moral relativism, materialism, these are all obstacles. They're obstacles to the common good. And that's uh, when I think about those who serve in the legal profession or in politics, civic officials, they're in a special position to further this mission. And that's what I emphasize, because by their witness of faith and love, they can help contribute to the moral re renewal that our nation needs and their witness to the moral values that will enable our nation to flourish. Mm -hmm. And of course, what a great model of fidelity and perseverance that they have, you know, St. Thomas More. So that was this year's, um, I always put a lot of thought into uh, homilies at the Red Masses. Yeah. Uh, and I think some of that is, is a little bit different than, say, a white mass where you're talking with people in the medical profession. Some of those might be working in Catholic hospitals or something like that. But, I mean, other than those teaching at Notre Dame, Pretty much people that are in public office or lawyers or judges are in the public. It's not a religious institution. So it's a completely, I wouldn't say completely secular, but it is a, a public office. It's a public job. And to bring their faith into that place, I think a lot of times we talk about evangelization and the efforts of the church within the church and as representatives of the church going out. But how important it is for us to do that no matter where we work, no matter what we do to include our faith and those morals and ethics in, yeah. in our work, in our interactions with coworkers and strangers. And, yeah. and there, there is such a, especially for some offices and that there's so much power of influence and for good or for bad, right. if they, whether it be a government official or a judge or whatever, to have an impact on so many people. Yeah. And I think when we have Catholics in these professions, if they're really living their Catholic faith, 
that witness can really, like you said, be, it could be influential for the good. Mm -hmm. Of course, the temptation is to fall into some of the other, I mean, for example, in this angry, divided nation that we're in, you know, our witness fails when we fall into the sins that are going on mm -hmm. in this uh, heated debate. The sins I mentioned last time of slander and calumny and detraction and defamation and all those things, sins against the Eighth Commandment. When we do that, we're not bearing witness to, to the truth of our faith. So there's always that danger of accommodating to sin and evil in a way that's, um, that's then a counter witness. Now, none of us are going to be perfect in doing this, but... But imagine, I mean, this may sound a little utopian, but imagine if we're all, we're living holy lives in the public square, what kind of uh, impact that would have. Mm -hmm. And this kind of gets back to what you started with talking about unity, and you mentioned that the gospel was talking about unity. How was that gospel chosen, first of all? I, you know, for the Red Mass, I usually choose the readings. So you can, you can pick out whatever yeah, you want? Yeah, okay. as a bishop. Now, there are specific readings that are there with the vote of Mass of the Holy Spirit that I'll sometimes use where there are several you can choose from. But like this time, since I wanted this theme of unity, I couldn't find them in that vote of Mass of the Holy Spirit. But as bishop, I'm allowed to choose other readings as long as it's not like a feast day or okay. you know a solemnity or you know has a higher rank than i can't but but if it's just a normal weekday i can do that yeah. okay and so i think that idea of unity might sound utopian as well what is realistic as far as expectations of what kind of unity we could see on earth and some of this being between catholics and non-catholics but also within the Catholic Church, we see so much division. What what kind of unity should we be striving for and real, realistically realizing we're always going to disagree on things? So how do we find unity even in the disagreement? Well, number one, there has to be unity in the profession of faith. So those things that are, you know, defined teachings of our faith, the, 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 the creed, for example, I mean, we have to be united in faith that way. We, and, but we also need to be united in charity. So, you know, we talk about disagreements. Well, there shouldn't really be disagreements on the required fundamentals, believing in the definitive teachings of the church, because otherwise one is, one is placing themselves out of unity with the church mm -hmm. if they embrace heresy, for example. But I think more of the problem we find is is where there's not that unity and charity or respect for some diversity of opinions that are is a legitimate diversity. Okay. So we're called to, I mean, how did the early Christians, the pagans would look at them and see, see say, look how they love one another. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of unity we should be showing. Our unity in Christ, the spiritual unity, the Eucharist is the sacrament of unity that builds up our unity. So it doesn't mean uniformity. Everyone has their different gifts. Mm. They have different talents, et cetera, different functions within the body of Christ. But we adhere to the same truths of faith. And people may have different political opinions, mm -hmm. and that's okay as long as they're not violating the, the teachings of the church. But there's room for latitude on certain issues so people can have legitimate different opinions. Mm -hmm. 
there are some issues where there doesn't allow for that kind of latitude. So, you know, we've talked about, you know, the dignity of every human life, unborn life and et cetera, that, so that's not, that's a non-negotiable, so to speak, but there are other things as well. I mean, our commitment to the poor, mm -hmm. our special responsibility for those who are sick or suffering or on the margins. I mean, that's very much part of the gospel, significant part of the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. And you see periods of, of greater unity. And when you look at church history, there are some periods where you see greater unity, and then you see certain periods where there's division. Obviously, we had the two very sad centuries where division happened in the body of Christ. First, the 11th century, when we had the division of the East and the Western churches mm -hmm. and the beginning of the Orthodox Church, that was a, a terrible wound to the body of Christ. And then the 16th century in the West, we had the Protestant Reformation, another wound to mm -hmm. the unity that Christ willed. So when we speak of praying for Christian unity, we often will think about ecumenism. We'll think about the restoration of the unity among Christians. And that's a very important priority of the church. That's ecumenical commitment. But what I kind of am seeing now is, is the dangers of this division between the, the left and the right within the church, especially right. the extreme within the Catholic church, Catholic church mm -hmm. within the Catholic church, especially the extreme right and the extreme left. Yeah. And that's kind of like a set up for schism. I'm not going to be alarmist and say we're going to have a schism, but maybe. Um, and how does one maintain the unity? Well, we have to follow the way Christ set up the church. Mm -hmm. the The successor of Peter, the Pope, is the is the visible sign of the unity of all the bishops and unity with the bishop. But now you even see, you know, those who attack the Pope and mm -hmm. attack the bishops and. That's not a very Catholic attitude, right? You know, doesn't mean that one has to agree with every everything. No bishop, no pope is perfect, but you still are called to maintain your unity and have respect and obedience. So, anyhow, that's an interesting question. Well, and I don't necessarily want to go down the rabbit hole too much, but I think some maybe that's come from seeing some corruption within the church. Yeah. And maybe taking those bad apples and blanketing the whole church hierarchy with this stain is just unfair. Like you wouldn't want somebody to do that to your family, right? If you had a, a sibling or a cousin that did something horrible, you wouldn't want them to judge you on that. Yeah, yeah. you know. But I think a lot of times that happens, and then people are upset, and then they they just get upset with everybody because of this one incident or right. a couple incidents. Right. No, and, and that's happening today. I mean, I see it. You know, you have someone like the former Cardinal McCarrick right. and people are very angry and then they get angry at all the bishops. But, you know, we've had scandals, you know, we've had some in the history of the church, some scandalous popes and other scandalous bishops, but we've had so many holy popes and mm -hmm. so many holy bishops. So you're, you're right on target about this. And should we tolerate or misconduct uh, or moral depravity of church leaders? No, not at all. But I do think some too often bishops or other leaders are, yeah, 
tainted with a broad brush. Mm-hmm. And it really isn't fair. It's, but people in anger will do that sometimes. Right. All right. Well, again, you can find the text from the Red Mass at todayscatholic.org coming out in the newspaper soon as well. Or you can find the video of it on the Diocesan Facebook page. And if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. There's a form there you can fill out as well as past episodes of the show. You could text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9500. 98. And coming up, we'll talk about the beatification of a young man that died at the age of 15. That's coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. When you're worried about your health, you go see a doctor. Worried about finances? Talk to the helpful folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our savings? Notre Dame FCU. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And we recently had the beatification of a, I I, I kind of struggle with it. It's a boy or a young man. I mean, 15 years old is a pretty young person to be beatified, especially of the modern age, I feel like. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. I mean, died in 2006. Mm -hmm. They they speak of him as the, the first millennial saint, you know, blessed, but right. soon to be saint, hopefully, but a teenager, exactly, a boy of our time, the internet age, the first saint of the digital age, mm-hmm. pretty remarkable. I don't remember, have we talked about him on the program before? I don't believe so. Okay, because I've been preaching about him at all my confirmation masses, so I feel like uh-huh. uh, I can't, couldn't remember, I've, I've talked so much about him. I'm learning from this teenager, his wisdom. Really, I love some of his sayings, I love his example, and I think he's a great model for youth. I was really excited that he was beatified this past Saturday. And actually, I got a uh, a text via WhatsApp from one of our seminarians in Rome who went to Assisi oh, good. and uh, prayed at his tomb and prayed for us. So Great. that was so neat. Mark Hellinger. Okay. I said, I, I texted him back on WhatsApp. I said, oh, wow, I wish I could be there. I've been talking about this kid. I think he's becoming more well-known all the time. I think kind of the word is spreading, certainly in Italy, but even here in the United States, especially here in our diocese. He was beatified in Assisi. He wanted to be buried there. You know, of course, there were limitations because of the pandemic, so not as many were allowed to be present. It was at the uh, Basilica of St. Francis and then outside, but everyone was physically distanced. His body's in a church that I used to visit when I'd go to Assisi. Uh, Santa Maria Maggiore, and it's where St. Francis, as a young man, stripped in front of his father and mm. the bishop. You know, he took off his fancy clothes. And, yeah, rejecting and, the worldly yeah. possessions. Right. And it's interesting, that's where Carlo's buried. Huh. And uh, and his body has been on view for a couple weeks, I think, a week or two during this time. They exhumed his body, and it wasn't incorrupt, but it was uh, still integral, you know, all the organs and everything were there and they had to reconstruct his face a bit because he had a brain hemorrhage at the end. So, but you can see pictures of him if you go on the internet and I mean, 
he really looks like he's just sleeping. Well, and I think that's something that, first of all, I think you just finally mentioned his name. Oh, <laughs> we, oh, we weren't talking we, about we his name. We really built up the, the suspense uh, for people listening at home. Uh, yeah, blessed Carlo, how do you say his last name? Acutis. Acutis, okay. And I think that maybe caused some confusion on social media, people posting these images of him, these pictures that look like he's incorrupt. He looks like he's just taking a nap. Yeah, uh, but it it was like a reconstruction. Yeah, they, they do sometimes with uh, they, they'll take a skeleton and they'll put like a wax or something. Oh well, this is actually his face though. This isn't okay. wax. Okay. Yeah, but I guess they did some stuff to whatever to reconstruct okay. it. But I think it's his real. And then they took his heart, and his heart was uh, in the procession, and his parents walked behind it. And they have his, they're putting his heart in a reliquary in the actual Basilica of St. Francis because so many want to come and, and pray. Mm -hmm. Originally, the parents were going to have Carlo's uh, organs donated to science, but because of the, the way he died, it wasn't possible, I guess, with the hemorrhage and all that, whatever. Okay. So, you know, it's really neat, though. If you look at his body there, he, I, mean, I, I, I just thought, I don't think I've ever seen a saint or a blessed wearing sneakers, right. <laughs> blue yeah. jeans, and a sweater or whatever he has on. Yeah. And I just, his casual clothes, I just uh, think, wow, he just shows this, this is a normal young man who is a model of holiness. But yet, in many ways, kids, young people, teenagers can, can relate to him. Well, I think that's neat that they did that because they could have put him in a suit. They could have, right. you know, right? I'm sure at some point in his life he wore a suit and usually at funerals they'll dress you up and stuff. But they, I feel like it's a a message in how they dressed him of this was just like you, just like your classmates or whatever. Like you can yeah. be a saint too. Yep, exactly. And there's Carlo. I mean, I'm so moved by so many aspects of his life. I recommend people read about his life, but I mean, it's just, it's beautiful, really. His devotion to the Holy Eucharist. He, he often would go around saying, the Eucharist is my highway to heaven. He'd go to mass every day. Here's a normal kid. He loved sports. He was a lot of fun. He was a computer whiz. And yet, you know, his faith was at its very core. As a matter of fact, he said that being united to Jesus is the program of his life. And he'd mm -hmm. say that to his friends because his friends knew, I mean, they loved him, but they knew there was something unique about him. And they would ask him, he said, well, no, this is it. Being close to Jesus, being united to Jesus, that's, that's my plan. That's my project. Mm -hmm. And that was so true. And he had this incredible devotion to the Eucharist, but it was something that he lived in his life, you know, because then I say in the homily to confirmation students, his prayer was deep, and yet he lived a normal life, and, and he attracted so many people to Christ mm -hmm. by the way he lived. His care for the poor, so many, there were so many hundreds of poor and homeless people at his funeral. His parents were like, how did all these poor people know Carlo? Well, when he'd be walking to school or back from school, he would meet them, talk to them, stop get food for them. Mm -hmm. His first big amount of money that he saved from allowances or whatever, he went out and bought a sleeping bag for a homeless man. I mean, so this was how he lived. Yeah. And, um, and then there's so many quotes of his, 
you know, I think of the Holy Spirit's gift of wisdom, that here this, this young man who died at the age of 15 had so much wisdom, and he said some really beautiful things. He said, the more Eucharist we receive, the more we will become like Jesus, so that on earth we will have a foretaste of heaven. So they have these, these all over Assisi, I don't know if you noticed in the news, these large posters and banners of Carlo standing next to the monstrance. Uh-huh. I mean, a beautiful image. And his whole thing was his desire to be holy. And then he, he was really heroic in that way. He was really heroic. And when he was diagnosed with this acute form of leukemia, he, he didn't live very long. Went in the hospital, he never got out. Mm -hmm. But even then, when the doctor asked him about the pain he was suffering, you know what he said? He said, other people are hurting more than I am. So he still was thinking of others. And he said, I'm offering my suffering for the church and for the Pope. It was Pope Benedict at the time. Mm -hmm. And his parents were so devastated, obviously, with this diagnosis. And he was comforting them. He He said, mom and dad... Don't worry, I'm happy to die because I've never wasted a moment in things that do not please God. Hmm. I mean, how can, I mean, that's, but that's how he lived. How um, many of us can say that? Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. There was a couple things that kind of caught my eye. He apparently, he was very good at computers and this is still fairly early on with internet and he played Pokemon and all these games. and But he made a website for cataloging Eucharistic miracles. And also, he limited himself, I think I read somewhere, to like one hour a week of internet use, which I don't know anybody that or loves... video games, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that loves yeah. that kind of stuff that has that kind of temperance <laughs> to, right. to kind of say, look, I don't, I don't want to become addicted to this stuff. Yeah. I enjoy it, and I can do good things with it. But there's a lot of... Yeah. Other things that I could be doing with my time. Yeah. I know. Amazing. That kind of self-discipline as a teenager. But, you know, he because Jesus was the program of his life, he put things in priority. And, you know, when he would, he, he kept a diary where he recorded things that, you know, good things that he did, or but then also things that he wasn't happy about. And so he was always like checking on himself. It was a very good, I mean, very mature kind of seeking after holiness. Another thing is he enjoyed food. Mm-hmm. I mean, he enjoyed pizza and everything. Yeah. <laughs> he was starting to put on weight and he recognized it. And then, you know, he started dieting and watching what he was eating. So, and, and you know, was able to, so there's things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. just normal things that we all can you know, struggle with. Right. Uh, but he learned, like you said, the virtue of temperance. So mentioned that he was beatified, which means he's now blessed. Can you give us a, a little refresher on the canonization process and what, what this means for him? Yeah, he went through the prior the process, which was to become venerable, become a servant of God and venerable. So all the examination of his life, his writings, interviews with his family, friends, anyone who knew him. So it's very exhaustive. So you have to kind of prove that there's heroic sanctity. So they did all that. Those to were the be, first steps. Is that to be servant of God, you go through all of that? Yes. And and also even deeper to become beatified. Uh-huh. And then for beatification, though, you also need a miracle. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a miracle through his intercession. Um, and I'm trying to remember it. It was I did, in Brazil? I, I think it was Brazil. 
it was a pretty amazing miracle, but I'm trying to remember the details. It was a young boy who had a rare pancreatic disease. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and there was no natural explanation. Mm -hmm. The doctors were astounded. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we don't see another miracle because now there's so many people praying uh, yeah, there, through I feel his like intercession. There was just a lot of, at least people that I follow and stuff on social media, a lot of people talking about it, a lot of news places with uh, you know the images. I mean, there's some, because he's such a, a recent person, there's all kinds of pictures of him. And so there's a little slideshow of this, you know, between ages of 10 and 15 of all these this kid just doing normal things. Yeah. And I think that's so encouraging, especially right now when we have so many young people leaving the church to have this young person who not only stayed in the church, but apparently rather than his parents kind of forcing him to go to church, he forced his parents to go to church. He was, <laughs> I, I, it sounds like they were a little lackluster in their faith and he was really encouraging them. And he was the one that was bringing them to mass. Yep. And, Hopefully, yeah. this can be his mother's testimony that we can yeah. we can pray for our young young adults in our lives that we know might be struggling with their faith, and and he can be a great inspiration as well. Yeah, I say that to the young people about that they can be holy as mm -hmm. teenagers. You know, they shouldn't. We shouldn't think of well, holiness is just something for older people. Right. Everyone's called to be holy and holy as teenagers. And like you said, he brought his mother. Really, his mother his parents to a, a real lively practice of the faith. She had, she didn't go to mass very often at all. And uh, now she's just a wonderful woman of faith and mm -hmm. she learned from her son. Yeah. So is this, now that he's blessed, we can, I guess we could do this even earlier, but uh, we can pray for his in, in intercession. Yes. And uh, I, I, I didn't see if he's a, the patron saint of anything specifically. I'm, no, I didn't see any. Yeah, but they did give his um, his feast day is uh, October. The Pope announced October twelfth, the day of his death, I believe. Okay. So, could confirmation students have him as a confirmation state, or do they have? Sure. Yep. It's okay. I've already had a couple. Okay. I've already had a couple. Yeah, you can have someone who's beatified as a confirmation name. All right. Yep. Well, uh, we have a little bit of time, and we've been talking a lot lately about elections and political things and forming your conscience and all of that. And one of the things that I've kind of noticed is the two extremes of people upset that their priest or some other priest is not saying enough politically, or the other side, that they're saying too much politically. And I thought maybe you could share a little bit about what is the obligation and what are restrictions on priests talking politically as far as in, they can't endorse any candidate from the pulpit, right? What, what right. else? I guess, why is that? Why, why couldn't a priest say that this candidate is the best choice for Catholics? To, well, to really, the, the church doesn't want us to become politically partisan. I mean, that creates disunity. Okay. I mean, that's not good for the church. So rather than being partisan or endorsing candidates, that's not our job. That's the job of a laity. Okay. You know, the laity should be involved in the political arena, not, not clergy. Okay. I mean, I wasn't ordained to be involved in that way. No, we're to be spiritual leaders and moral teachers. Mm -hmm. So that means we address the, the issues. 
And sometimes we have positions on particular pieces of legislation mm -hmm. or certain things about executive orders that might come out or whatever. Yeah, we have every right to have our voice you know, spoken in the public square. So to preach on these issues is important. And one must do so in a way that's both prudent and courageous mm -hmm. uh, and not in a way that, okay, you're only addressing – an issue that then everyone knows what political party you're, you know, you're kind of favoring, especially when you're approaching election time, mm -hmm. you know. So you have to be preach the fullness of Catholic teaching, and not be afraid to to preach about the problem, you know, various evils, moral evils like abortion or euthanasia, or to speak about violations of human rights like the rights of immigrants, or mm -hmm. to speak about care for the environment, or to speak about the sanctity of marriage. All these are moral issues that we right. could speak about. And But some people don't, you know, you have to be careful. Some people are very sensitive because they think, oh, he's supporting Joe Biden, or he's supporting Donald Trump. No, as I said so many times, we support the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what we preach about. And wherever the political chips may fall, we just don't go there. So uh, maybe if we can kind of go through a little list here, just uh, out of curiosity. So a priest can't endorse a candidate or a party from the pulpit. Right. Could he do it in conversation if he's over for dinner and – you're talking with a priest, could he endorse a candidate or, or a party? I think you have to be prudent about that because sometimes it gets around. If I talk my political opinions with some close friends that I trust, yeah, I don't share generally with people like, well, I'm going to vote for so-and-so. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's appropriate, you know. Could a priest put a yard sign for a political no, candidate? No, no. Okay. What about a bumper sticker on his car? No. Okay. What about is this the same for deacons? Yep. So a deacon of the church, right, shouldn't, shouldn't be also. doing these things as well. Uh, could you, he ever say publicly who he voted for in the past? Is that any different? Um, interesting question. I would just stay away from it. Yeah. Okay. And is there a situation where a priest could? say not to vote for somebody or maybe even would be obliged to say not to vote for somebody because I, I, I mean the extreme being like if Hitler was running would there be an obligation to say like we cannot allow this to happen this person is is so far away from Catholic teaching right I think in a situation like that yes I mean but usually that's not something that an individual priest is going to do that. I mean, usually it's the church itself. So okay. it would be the bishops together saying, you know, that that this choice is such that. And so I think huh. we have some lone rangers out there who kind of set themselves up as the magisterium. Uh, <laughs> right. But um, but yeah, that would be an unusual or someone who's you know who is going to do such uh, such uh, grave grave harm to the country yeah okay now some but then you'll have people who will say well my saying that they'll say well then you should from the pulpit attack trump 
mm-hmm. because of the harm he's caused our country. Or you'll have other people say, then you need to publicly attack Biden because of all the uh, because of his pro-abortion stance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you get this because you have people who who um, feel strongly about their candidate, right? All right. Well, again, if you have questions for Bishop, you can shoot us a text using the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And before we go, can we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. To see the website Blessed Carlo Acutis built that cataloged Eucharistic miracles around the world, check out the link in the show notes. Next week, Bishop breaks down the upcoming Sunday's Gospel reading from Matthew. Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, which commandment is the greatest? And he replies with two. Then Bishop answers questions submitted by listeners. To submit yours, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can listen to episodes anytime by searching for Truth and Charity on your favorite podcast app. Hit subscribe so you don't miss a new one and then share a favorite episode with a friend. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.